the dehumanization um, that's operating broad scale is having an awful effect on the way people interact with each other. Because as you've just said, if I'm only dealing with an avatar, that avatar is either going to give me what I want or they're not. And if they don't, they're a defective avatar. They're an iPhone that doesn't work properly or an app that needs updating. And I'm very cross and I'm very frustrated that it's not giving me what I want. It's sad, but that's what we're our brains have been entrained to think about life and relationships and, and people in a highly narcissistic way. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kissin. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is an author and YouTuber, Richard Grant, and welcome to Trigonometry. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm a huge fan. I've been for years. Props to you guys. It's uh, it's taken a lot of courage to do what you do. Much respect from all of your fans, I'm sure. I can speak on everybody's behalf. We say we really appreciate what you've done and the risks you've taken. Some of them hate us, mate, but thank <laughs> you very much. Anyway. I did my best for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, you do great work as well. Um, there's obviously a lot of stuff we'll get into, but before we do, just tell everybody, who are you? What is your journey through life? How have you ended up here? What have you been doing with yourself? Um, that's a good question. My mum asked me that a lot. What have you been doing with mm. yourself? I uh, probably should start, but I got a degree in psychology and um, I thought that I was going to join the army and do the officer training and then try and get into military intelligence. That was my hope. Um, I was out in uh, Chester and I got I got glassed in the eye and that sort of made me wait a little bit because I had I had some PTSD from that it was a, it was a it was a homophobic attack I was headbutted and hit in the eye with a glass for being gay um fucking hell yeah no I still it, it was a it was a half pint glass so he shattered it and like little bits so I still have bits in the bag under my eye and in my nose oh. and stuff um and that sort of made me take a little bit of a step back and have a look about what I wanted to do. I drifted for a bit. I started doing uh, little bits and pieces of counselling and I started doing nightclub security. So for about 10, 12 years on and off, I was doing nightclub security, was teaching some of the lads little bits and pieces because I was always into martial arts. And I, that sort of developed into um, a self-defence business, an online self-defence business. And... After about 10 years of doing that, what I noticed with the lads that I was training, they'd be like other martial arts instructors, some soldiers, bodyguards, fighters. Mm -hmm. They had problems with their asserting themselves and asserting their personal boundaries, and it was coming up again and again. So I created a sideline thing called Spartan Life Coach. The original business was called Street Fight Secrets. Very imaginative. <laughs> really and uh, it, was it was four guys who couldn't, you know, they could shoot you in the head or punch you, but they couldn't say no to their wife and kids. So I thought that was going to be the thing that I was going to do. And that was in about 2013. And then I started posting online about asserting personal boundaries, narcissism, psychopathy, the types of people who would predate on others, either physically or emotionally. It blew up. It really, really blew up. And so the last eight years has been a focus on uh, childhood trauma, codependency, narcissism, and uh, all of that type of thing, which brings us up to today, I mm. think, in short form. And one of the things I was going to ask you, it's interesting, I've done a lot of personal development. I studied hypnotherapy. I did all the NLP and all that stuff. And a oh. lot of it, I, I don't actually think 
nowadays with the benefit of hindsight was that great. Mm. I'm glad I've done it though. Yeah. But do, do you think, first of all, that people get into, it's the same I think often with martial arts, people who get into martial arts are quite often people who are compensating for being bullied or they're trying to look for a way out. It's the same with personal development stuff. Quite often I think people get into it because they're trying to resolve their own stuff. Like you mentioned, getting PTSD and sort mm. of, do you think that's that's a, that's a thing that happens? There's a huge crossover between the types of people who would seek out neuro-linguistic programming hypnotherapy, which was me, I did mm. the same mm. thing. Uh, trained at 18 uh, here in London with Richard Bandler actually, yeah. as I was doing the martial arts stuff. So yeah, it's compensatory. Almost like looking for superpowers. It's like an infantile response. You know, you've been hurt, you've been bullied, you don't know how to deal with it. So you look outside for things so that you won't get hurt again, I think. So yeah, there was a huge crossover between, not everybody who does martial arts does NLP, but there's a, there's a fascination. Mm. There is a mutual fascination between the two subjects, for sure. Because mm. for, sure. for me, it was, it was less of that. It was much more about skill acquisition. I felt that I had a lot of deficiencies in certain areas, but I did find, and this is actually what worried me about a lot of the personal development industry is you, you, these people were being trained to help other people, but they weren't really in the position to help anyone because- <laughs> He's very kind, isn't he? Some of them are scumbags. Is that, no, no, know? I don't even mean that. I should just think they're hurt people who hadn't processed their own shit trying to help other people yes mm. yeah no it's 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 it is it is questionable um and there's a there's a scale i mean you do have like full-blown predatory types who are real scumbags right the way through to well-intentioned people as you say who yeah. are just hurt and they haven't resolved their own issues you could say the same thing for psychotherapy and counseling yeah you know, the, more 100%. Le- the more legitimate sort of institutions where yeah do, you know there are such a thing as fat boxing coaches. There are fat BJJ trainers. You can learn from somebody who's not living that life fully themselves, but how much, and especially when it's about uh, core wounds from childhood and your emotional intelligence, if you're dealing with somebody who fundamentally isn't very emotionally intelligent, yeah, you're right. There's only so far they can take you and it gets dangerous. So what do you think is a, is a healthy approach? Because look, I actually, believe personal development is very important mm-hmm. and you know the stuff you create and talk about how to identify certain things it's all what do you think is a healthy way for people who are maybe looking to improve things in their life or like what, what is a healthy way of dealing with that i think what would save us all a lot of trouble is um if we took the advice i think freud took it from dostoevsky and the brothers karamazov which is we should seek to be as rigorously honest with ourselves as we can and you have that as the starting point. As soon as you start bullshitting yourself and bullshitting other people, you should stop. There's no, too many people involved in the NLP community think and talk about NLP like it's a trick for tricking people, getting girls into bed, pe- getting people to buy used cars or buy things they don't need. Should never have been seen that way. So if we start with a good principle, which is be rigorously honest with yourself. It's extremely demanding. It's a very, very hard thing to follow up on. And painful too. Extremely painful. Um, and that's where you see the that principle overlaps with the Jungian idea, which is probably something else we should bring back, that we must integrate our shadow. We have to integrate the unconscious. We're not little angels and saints, virtuous beings toddling around on earth. We have darkness inside of us. And to say, well, that's not me, that's them. That's outside of me. Um, is just an infantile defense mechanism. I mean, in terms of psychoanalytic theory, what you're doing, it's, it's fun, it's scapegoating in principle. There's no sin in me. I'm free of sin. All the sin is over there or over there or over there. That is easy to do. 
commonplace but extremely dangerous because if you start believing you're free from sin, you can attack people and, you know, you, you lose humility then. So that, that would help. Shadow integration would help, I think. And we see that a lot right the way through our culture now where people like to portray themselves as being free from sin on the one hand and on the other hand they go, right, it's therefore fine to destroy this person's reputation or livelihood. In many ways, I, I, the, the whole project that you guys have been engaged in, looking at it from, from my perspective solipsistically, is like you're looking at shadow-activated people and you're trying to point out the shadow because it's not fair. These are justice warriors, but they're unjust. Mm. Yeah. So you're pointing out, hey, excuse me, Emperor's <laughs> got no clothes on here. You're not so great yourself. You're shouting about anti-racism in the most racist way possible, for example. Mm. Um, and that is, that's 100% shadow activation. That's people who've slipped into their unconscious. And even more frighteningly, they find other people who've slipped into their own unconscious in the same way. Mm. Then you have like a kind of um, collective uh, shadow possession in certain groups. And they're egging each other on. It's those guys over there that are bad. Yes, it's them. <laughs> every genocide, every atrocity in history starts with people doing that. Shadow activation, collective shadow possession. And then they identify a target and they go for it. So I think like um, honesty, keeping ourselves honest, being able to reflect, being able to understand that we have an unconscious that needs integrating and being able to call each other out. You know, we should... If we, are, if we trust each other and we're acting in good faith, you should be able to say, hang on a second, Francis, that's, you know, that's feedback. That's where psychoanalysis is powerful when it's at its best. Psychotherapy works great. If you have that faith and if you have that rapport and it's done in good faith, we can support each other to integrate our own shadows, I think, over time. Because we all have egos. We all have narcissism. Nobody's free from it. It's interesting because we, like, I know you recently watched the video that we put out about all our yeah. journey yeah. here. And part of it that we never really got to talk about, simply because it didn't come up, is actually a lot of the conversations we have off screen is about, you know, how do we improve as yeah. people? How do we improve mm -hmm. as a team? Yeah. You know, and frankly, there have been times when Francis said to me, look, you're doing this and it's not constructive and vice versa. Yeah. That to me is so important, but we do seem to live in a culture now where we've been allowed, because I think of social media, I don't know what your, your view is on that, where we just project this image of ourselves as perfection. Mm -hmm. And you can't back down from that yeah. in public anymore, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a real shame. It's like a sunk cost fallacy, isn't it? You know, you've been telling the world and telling yourself you're perfect for five, six, seven years. You've got your 1.2 million followers. <laughs> Are you going to go back and be like, sorry about this, folks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually full of shit. Um, I'm a scumbag. Was the whole time. Sorry about that. You know, it's, it's hard, but in many ways we should. I mean, I just released a video recently saying to my followers, like, I've just gotten back into a narcissistic abusive relationship. Now, I teach avoidance and recovery from narcissistic abuse relationships. If you don't want to listen to anymore, I understand. Mm. I'm fallible. I still have an unconscious. I still... I still become shadow activated, uh, usually lost is a bit of a weakness, but that's a weakness in, in everybody. Mm. So once the, the intimacy button gets triggered, the lost button is triggered, I'm not as rational as I would be otherwise. And you do think you start to compromise on your own moral, moral boundaries. Mm. But these ideas that we're talking about now, they're not popular. And I think that sh social media is not the cause, but it's been an accelerant because it's permitted us our own solipsism. And it's fed us our own um, bullshit back to us. And it's got this masturbatory quality to it. You're inside your own head. 
sort of pleasuring yourself with your own wonderful, uh, hyper-idealized self-image, and nobody's cutting in and saying, hang on though, lads. <laughs> yeah. You are actually a bit of a bellend. Stop, sometimes, you know, you've got to stop doing that. And um, you've got potentially millions of followers telling you the same thing. You say, I'm great. And then the crowd says, you're great. I'm great. Yes, you are great. Where the fuck? Any of us, we're human. Our egos are fallible. And uh, we would fall prey to that. We would fall in love or in lust with our own self-image at that point, I think. That's, that's what's happened. It's an accelerant. It's a catalyst, social media. It's such a good point. It has fueled our sense of narcissism. You see it, you see it everywhere. Mm. People constantly taking selfies of themselves. Mm. When I was younger, that just wasn't a thing. No. That just wasn't a thing, perpetually When taking... I was a boy. Yeah, when I was... It's wrong. No, but it... But, it's not natural, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's true, constantly taking photos of yourself. That, yeah. that must breathe an unhealthy obsession with your physical appearance. Well, um, now we know clinically from the research, you've got people out there who are taking upwards of a thousand selfies a day. They don't post them. They're looking for the perfect selfie. Fucking and it can be it can be upward of a thousand selfies a day. There was a case of a boy, they had to separate him, I think he was fifteen, they had to separate him from his mobile phone. But because of the psychotic rage he would go into, they had to grade it. So they'd separate him from his mobile phone for two minutes, then three minutes, then four. And when he got it back in his hand, he'd start selfieing straight away. So his he's an unusual case. This isn't normal. Sure. Yeah. But I think it shows you that in terms of the mechanism of the human mind, how fallible it is. My sense of self is coming from that. That's my mirror, but it's now not a mirror. That's me. This isn't me. Right. The mm. real self is now here. We have to stop this. We have to set boundaries on that. It won't affect us in that way. We're not digital natives. You're right. Yeah. If, if I saw one of my mates as a kid, you know those disposable cameras mm. we always used to go on holiday with? If you turned it on yourself, you'd slap them. Yeah. <laughs> doing your tits. Yeah. But now, yeah, you can have a stick and you can, you know, that's totally, and people stop for you or they walk around you. Mm. Yeah. It's... It, it's interesting to me how quickly that's become normalized, this hyper-normalization effect, because we're not that old. And inside of a decade and a half, this thing that you wouldn't dream of doing, mm. even if you wanted to do it, you wouldn't physically do it. Everybody does it. And potentially thousands of times a day. And to a young mind, uh, pre-adolescent, 12, 13, 14, they're so susceptible to narcissism, becoming highly narcissistic. Mm. They want to be seen. They're, they're trying to climb the social dominance hierarchy. They want to know where they stand on it. And they think this device is telling them where they stand. It's, it's too much for them. It's like crack or something for, for the ego. Isn't that the etymology of the word nar narcissism? It, it's from, I, I don't know how you say his name in English. I know in Russian. Narcissus. Narcissus, who would stare himself yeah. in the mirror endlessly. How would you say it in Russian? Uh, narcissist, narcissist. Na narcissist. Yeah. yeah, it's it's exactly that. And that is also the root of narcotics. So these things, it's self-obsession, but it's also a drug that numbs and it mm. creates sleep. So people who are in their phones, they're in a numbed, sleepy, drugged out state of staring into their own reflection. It depends on the myth you go for, but one of them was that he stared at his own reflection until eventually he starved to death. I find that the most interesting one because we are starving to death. What are we starving for? Attention. And you think, but you're getting all the attention you could possibly want. But this is junk attention. I think it's connection that we're starving for. We're man. starving for connection. I think that's what it is. Authentic. And recognition and, and all of those things, right? 100%. 100%. Yeah. It, it's, it's a fascinating... Sorry, Francis. No, I was, I was just going to say, the thing that I find most depressing is 
remember once I sat down with my girlfriend to eat dinner and there was this beautiful young couple next to us in their mid-twenties. They looked successful. And all they did was they were just opposite each other on their phone. And I'm thinking, you're in your mid-twenties. You're in love. You're young. This is the peak. Yeah. This is it. And you just... Yeah. And that's that's all there is. Well, we we accidentally. Well, I saw you in Ibiza. You didn't see me. I was <laughs> peeping at you from a restaurant somewhere. Was, was but, he on his phone? Running <laughs> <laughs> down the street, singing happily was um, yeah. the the number of times I saw that, and it was almost it was almost like you could correlate between the attractiveness of the couple. So you see a really good looking couple, you know, mid to late twenties, um, you know, exceptionally, you know, these are specimens. Well done, them. Gen- they've won the genetic lottery. And they're sat opposite each other and they're not looking at each other. Their heads are down, which is such a weirdly depressing and submissive posture anyway. You know, you're sat opposite a beautiful woman or a beautiful man, beautiful environment. It's a Ibiza in the summertime, a great restaurant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe they're sending each other memes or maybe they are communicating through the phone. But really, you can't put it down for like an hour and a half and just talk to your partner for a little bit. That's a real shame. And they'll walk away from that with body dysmorphia issues, anxiety, depression, massive amounts of status anxiety. Um, it's it's really doing a tremendous amount of psychological damage. And by the way, just very much in the spirit of shadow recognition, at least, maybe not integration, but certainly recognition, like we're the same. Mm-hmm. Like I would argue, other than every now and again, when I have a, a really like in-depth conversation with, with my wife or my mum or my dad, it's very rare. This, this, what we do for work, mm. is probably one of the rare times mm-hmm. that even I, who I'm conscious at least of mm-hmm. this, get to sit down with another human being and have a conversation that's uninterrupted by checking my emails or whatever. Like That's one of the reasons I love doing the show is we get to sit down with interesting people and actually it's just, it's just that. There's nothing else There's there. There's nothing else mm. there. And that is... I think such an increasingly rare thing for people to experience. I, I wonder where, you know what? Uh, let's just go back a sec because we've been talking about narcissism quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really defined it. Okay. And I think it might be a good thing to okay. do. Okay. So if if we're talking, the what I would usually talk about is distinct from narcissism, it's narcissistic personality disorder. So somebody who's gone through a deeply traumatic childhood that's been a combination of two polarities, one would be abuse and the other is a kind of adulation of the child. So the child would have been told that they were, can, can I swear? Yeah, yeah of course. course you can. You're a useless piece of shit, you're dreadful. They would have been um, instrumentalized, objectified, sexual, physical abuse. But either the same person in their schizophrenic state would then tell them perhaps they feel guilty after the abuse. You're wonderful, you're an angel. So they're, they're living in this kind of split. You're a terrible piece of shit, but you're wonderful and you're an angel. The parent needs to offer them adulation, not love. Applause as a member of an, as an audience member, not direct love. So the love has to come through audience. So you're an amazing piano player, and I love you for that because I get narcissistic supply vicariously. You're great at physics, or you're a very pretty kid, or you're a model, or a little actor, or whatever it is, whatever the child is, then you will experience love. Now you have a choice. You can either wire to the message you're a bad object in psychoanalytic terms, which means you're a piece of shit, you're useless, and you'll become probably a drug addict and suicidal. You probably won't get past the age of 40. Or you can wire to the idea that you're an angel. And you think, well, that's not so bad. Yeah, except you're not an angel. <laughs> you're a person. So it's, it's, 
you you engage in the six split where you say, okay, I have to get more adulation. I have to get more worship. So the narcissistic personality disorder seeks narcissistic supply. That's all they're interested in. Give me more applause. Give me more adulation. Never, they never want, they can't deal with horizontal love. It's unacceptable. They hate that. It makes them creeped out. They like it vertical. You look up to me and tell me I'm godlike, wonderful. That's a problem in and of itself, as I'm sure anybody can realize. But where I typically am talking to people about it is they've gotten into a relationship with somebody like that and they didn't realize. So they keep trying to offer horizontal love. I love you as another human being. And they go, oh yeah, that's nice. But inside they're thinking, fuck you, I'm not a human being. I'm a god. I'm an angel. I'm something better than everybody else. So there's a fight then. You're trying to love them like this and they're constantly trying to do this. And they don't, they will not accept anything else. Narcissistic personality disorder is rigid. It's rigid. So even you can try threatening them, you can try bribing them, you can try whatever you want, but they learned this in uh, an infantile state. And so the prognosis for recovery isn't great because it's their only way of interacting with the world. So that's typically what I talk about is NPD. Latent narcissism, we all have it. We should, we should have it. It's healthy. You should be concerned with yourself. You should want uh, yourself to do well, each other to do well. You can have collective narcissism. You should want trigonometry to do well. That's narcissism. Uh, you post, uh, you go and look, you see what your likes are, your follows are, you check your... App. That's healthy narcissism. You want to do well. That's a natural instinct to progress. We never want to lose that. The darkness is with the narcissistic personality disorder is it's become entitled and exploitative mm -hmm. and then it doesn't care. That's why it's uh, one of the features is a lack of empathy because you're not a person. You're just a source of supply. I'm a vampire, you're food. But they will trick you. They will tell you whatever you wanna hear to get you into that relationship. And then they'll show you through actions, not words, that they don't really see you as a person, they see you as food. So that's, that's typically what I talk about with narcissism. What you were saying rings so many bells because when I was in, um, we were both in the stand-up comedy industry, mm -hmm. I remember just one day and, Every once in a while, like a comedian would be outed for, but normally a male comedian, for awful, outrageous behaviour that is just vile on every level. And you're like, why are there so many wrong'uns in this industry? <laughs> and then what you've just said, I'm like, ah, oh, because it's stuff with narcissists. It's, it, so stand-up comedy is something. When I started doing door work, I started on a comedy club. And um, I'd just come from working for the uh, Crown Prosecution Service. So my head was full of psychology, but I'm doing door work. So I'm watching the, the comedians go up on stage and watching what they do. It's narcissism in action. So in terms of uh, a PTSD trauma response, you have fight, flight, fawn and freeze. So a narcissist is stuck between fight, which is they bully people to get what they want, and fawning, which is you give people what they want to get what you want. Stand-up comedy is a balance of fight and fawn. So you're, you, you're actually bullying laughs out of the crowd, but you're giving them what they want. And the best stand-up comics, I don't know, like you're, for me, it would be like a Louis C.K. or a Richard Pryor. At that level, that's high-level narcissism. When they're really good, narcissists can be hilariously funny because they're tuned into all your pressure points. They're like, oh, he liked that. He thought that was funny. You know where you get a comedian... They're almost like a good boxer. They hit you with, they hit the crowd with one joke and then they know, I'll go here. I'll go, okay, liver shot, uppercut. And the, the, the crowd is just like, okay, stop. You know, tears rolling. That's, that's a really high level narcissist. I'm not saying stand-up comics are narcissists, <laughs> but there is, you need to understand that world to operate in it for sure, for sure.
Hey, Constantine, do you like Christmas? No. In USSR, we cancelled Christmas and we had Lenin Fest instead. What's that? We celebrated glorious leader and rewrote story of Jesus to make it better. Really? Yes. In our story, three wise men were killed and gifts meant for Jesus redistributed to glorious workers of the Soviet Union. Jesus was put in gulag for having wrong opinion. As we call it in Russia, happy ending. Right. Well, if you do want to celebrate the festive season, then there's only one way to do it. Grab yourself a ticket to our final live show of the year at the Leicester Square Theatre on Saturday, December the 11th. Yes, it is discussion with one of our favourite guests, Aisha Akanbi. She's almost as good philosopher as Vladimir Lenin. Yeah, exactly. Our two previous shows sold out completely, and this one will as well. Grab your ticket now before it's too late. Click on link below. During interval, there will be special entertainment. I will ride bare with my shirt off. I didn't realize we were going for that demographic, mate. Oh, yes, we are. Excellent. I imagine, broadly speaking, not just stand-up, but other performing arts. 100%. That's why you get, more, I imagine, statistically speaking, probably a higher percentage of to use a technical term, wrong ones yeah. in, in those industries, right? Because For these sure. are people who are operating on that Ma model. Martial, martial arts is one. Martial arts instructors, huge amounts of narcissism in martial arts, a really disproportionate representation. Mm, that's really, well, I imagine that's because first it's visually you're going to be, you look good and also you have power to... That's what it is. It, to, it, it to does bully the, and whatever other It does people. the job. It does right. the job perfectly. But there's a difference between male narcissism and female narcissism, aren't there? And they manifest differently. They do manifest differently. Um, I just found out recently uh, from a guy I work with called Sam Vaknin, the, the clinical statistics now indicate there is many female narcissists as males for the first time ever. Um, it manifests differently only because of power. So whatever you can do, you will do. So if my power is I'm bigger than you, I can pick up a rock and hit you with it, I'll do that. If my power was I'm sexy so I can seduce people and bend their will that way, it's almost incidental. Um, but yes, it does. It does. The behaviors manifest differently, but the core, the clockwork, the mechanics is is the same. And how do you know? You mentioned relationships, mm. which I imagine is where the, the, this is really like a big issue because yeah. in normal life, you can distance yourself from people like that. You can choose a different job, whatever. But once you're in a relationship, particularly when you didn't know what you were getting into necessarily, yeah. how does how do you know that you are dealing with someone who's full-blown NPD? Well... You know, you can put a YouTube video out saying how to know if you're dealing with somebody who's MPD and you're guaranteed to get like half a million views in a year because everybody's asking that question. Right. How do we know? Um, because if you're in love with somebody and you start to realize there's something up and you think it could be narcissism, it's pretty bleak. And so you hope that they're just traumatized. You hope they just have PTSD and they're having bad days because if it's NPD, it, there's, there's really no hope. What I would say, I, I would be looking for patterns of exploitativeness and entitlement that play out across context and across time, even when you've told them to stop. So if it seems as though they'll just say, yes, 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 I'll stop, I'll go to therapy, I'll do this, I'll do that and do the other, and they're not stopping and they keep going and you've told them it hurts and they're still doing it, it's not great because even if they don't have MPD, they are an arsehole, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is just as good a reason to split up with somebody as anything else. Yeah. You don't need the clinical diagnosis. Um, these, are, these are boundaries, aren't they? I would say like once you've told somebody three or four times, like that thing that you're doing, it really hurts me. 
You tell me that you love me, but you're still doing it. Three, four, would you give them a fifth chance? Maybe you would, unless they've just been through some major trauma in their lives that justifies it. I would say that's... you. You're either looking at somebody who has MPD or their idea of what it is to act within a relationship that's loving and intimate is so hot because somebody can just act narcissistically and it can be context specific. Many people in this culture have very narcissistic defense mechanisms around love and dating. Um, How do you mean? <laughs> well, we're, we're in a tricky place as far as the genders go right now. And it's a bit of a battleground out there. Um, I, I know you're both in happy relationships, mm. but presumably before that you were dating. I never was. You, you were not? First one, bam, job done. Really? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. 18 <laughs> years old, done. Good for you. You yeah. saved yourself a lot of trouble. <laughs> I imagine so, yeah. It's, it's, it's brutal. It's, it's really brutal. And it's, um, it's gotten noticeably worse uh, year on year of the last 20 years, but particularly in the last five years. It's become very savage. It's a battleground. As the genders, uh, as the sexes split apart and polarize, the view of each other has gotten darker and darker. Mm. Talked about shadow integration before and shadow possession. As we become more shadow possessed, we engage in something called projective identification. So you just start seeing the other person as awful, even mm. if they're not. You have two people who are ruined, spoiled by consumer capitalism, trying to consume each other narcissistically whilst using projective identification to see the worst elements that they have onto the other. It's a nightmare. It's just so put, a nightmare. put some meat on that skeleton. What mm. do you mean when you say it's a battleground and, and, and all of that? Like, what are you talking about? Are you talking about men and women starting to be yeah. so more antagonistic or? Yes, men and women being more antagonistic. But to be fair, um, I have heard that in the, in the gay scene, it's the sure. same thing. Mm, so yeah. for, as far as love and intimacy goes, mm. We've sort of lost a grip on what it is to be in a relationship. And the battleground is, I'm going to try and take as much. For, so we have a room full of people, 100 people, and they're all trying to date each other. But everybody's running a program that says, I'm going to take as much from you as I possibly can. And I know you're going to hurt me because everybody behind me has hurt me. I'm just waiting for when. So people are coming in armored and they're coming in with weapons drawn, assuming it's going to be awful. That's where the projective identification comes in. Every single guy I've ever been with has treated me like shit. You're a guy. All the data I have indicates you're going to treat me like shit. Mm. So the, the hostility levels start quite high. It's, it's defensive. Those defenses are narcissistic, typically. So it's, it, gets, um, it just gets nasty really, really quickly. So it's quite hostile. So if you meet somebody randomly... Um, say I meet a girl and I meet her randomly and there's no intent there and we're just working together or something it'll be fine but as soon as it's in a dating context or she gets a sense that there could be the potential for a relationship then the defences go up and it gets hostile and it gets aggressive quickly so the way people are treating each other now is is with contempt quite honestly and does that factor in as well the, the social media element? Like we see people as avatars. We don't see them as human beings anymore. 100%. 100%. The, the dehumanization um, that's operating broad scale is having an awful effect on the way people interact with each other. Because, as you've just said, if I'm only dealing with an avatar, that avatar is either going to give me what I want or they're not. And if they don't, they're a defective avatar. They're an iPhone that doesn't work properly or an app that needs updating. And I'm very cross and I'm very frustrated that it's not giving me what I want. It's sad, but that's what we're 
our brains have been entrained to think about life and relationships and, and people in a highly narcissistic way. And we, we're talking about a lack of empathy. At what point does this veer into sociopathic territory? Um, we're there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're already there. So if we wanted to say uh, psychopathy or the way the DSM defines it as antisocial personality disorder, when I'm saying narcissism, really we're talking about narcissistic psychopathy. Um, it's goal orientated. It's it's uh, it has these megalomania, megalomaniacal qualities to it. There can be only one. There are winners and losers in this game, and I'm going to be the winner. Um, so yeah, there is already psychopathic elements to this kind of narcissism. That we're way beyond uh, vanity and greed now. We're into something that's much more. Um, it's it's got some real aggression behind it. It's got some real toxicity behind it. And where's it coming from, Richard? Well, we lost. Why has it changed is what I'm getting at. Why has it got worse? We let go of God. And that <laughs> was our mistake. Um, we should have listened to Dostoevsky and Nietzsche back in the 18, 1880s. They both wrote very, very similar things about it, which is we're losing God. And if we lose, uh, without wanting to lose, lose your audience, when I say God... Well, lose our audience by all means. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a narcissist. Right, fuck not your... like that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so so when, I, when I say God uh, in this context, I, I'm an atheist. I can't, I can't access that. I can't naively believe in God. But uh, when, we had, when we had God, there was somebody or something that was at the top of everything. And when we removed that, Dostoevsky and Nietzsche said, this is a bit dangerous because if we don't have that, we will put ourselves there. Mm. And if we do that, we kind of have to worship ourselves. And then that's the famous, when you look into the abyss, the abyss also looks back into you. The God is dead. Um, what, what festivals will we have to create to justify our own sin? These are the festivals. These are the celebrations. Instagram, Facebook, these are the festivals and celebrations that we have to tell ourselves, we're amazing, we're awesome, we can do whatever we want because mummy and daddy god goddess are not around anymore mm. but it's guilt laden it's it's extremely guilty and without that reverence for something higher than it sounds silly even saying the word reverence it's so out of date but if we don't have reverence for something higher there's only us what does that create self-loathing this is a dostoevsky point as well but if i hate me i have to hate you because you're also me I am piece of shit. You must be piece of shit too. So then, that's very offensive. That's quite, ra quite racist. <laughs> I'm just kidding, mate. Thankfully, Russians seem not to care one jot. Whenever not give a shit, mate. <laughs> um, so once once you've got to that point, and there's just mutual contempt, then there is only narcissism left. We only have, and that's wretched. I, so I don't even have. I don't even have you. I have me. Ugh. We're not evolved for that. We are a religious species. We always have been. I I'm not saying like bring back a particular religion because we can't do that. Toothpaste is already out the tube. But we have to have something. We have to have some kind of a philosophy or a psychology that permits us to say, I'm, I didn't create life. I didn't create myself. I didn't create you. I didn't create that which is good. There is something beyond me. And at least then I can have a tiny soupçon of humility and not be as arrogant and as entitled as I otherwise would be. And it gives you a measure of peace as well. Like It's interesting you're talking about all this stuff. It's like none of the three, Francis, myself, or Anton, none of us are believers, but mm. we've started saying grace before every meal. Right. Just because it's a moment of 
whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't have the language. It's right. Maybe reverence is the right word. And it's, I know what you mean when, when you, when you are, when you are at the top of that pantheon. Mm. Mm, that's not a healthy place. And there's there's something, I think we're desperately unhappy there. We know we don't belong there. And there's something you'd sort of think, well, we won then. We won. We finally got there. And in so many ways, human beings are the victim of their own success. Because another element of this, aside from losing God, is consumer capitalism. This particular brand of capitalism, not an anti-capitalist, but the things that we allow companies to do in the name of generating profit are obscene. You know, it's 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 outrageous what we let people look at, you know, these tech giants, what they're doing to the minds of children. It's an obscenity. That also is a problem because you're so hyper-stimulated and so constantly messaged to and marketed to that you're less than, you're deficient, you need these trainers, you need this drug in order to live. And we are consumers then. So we are godless and we're consumers. That's wretched. That's not what we're evolved to be. We're not evolved to, to, to be this thing. So I always think it's funny for like hundreds of thousands of years, we would have been outside freezing, you know, being chased by saber-toothed tigers, dreaming one day of the cities of lights, mm. where there'd be food everywhere and warmth and shelter everywhere. We get here and we're like, oh, this is shit. <laughs> I'm sad. <laughs> I'm depressed. <laughs> it always reminds me of the story of George Best, the footballer. I don't know if you're into football. But when he was 23 years old, he, he won the European Cup. He was the man of the match. He was, you know, he was at the peak of his fame, young, handsome guy. And he said that after winning the match and winning the cup, which was the highest accolade a footballer could achieve, he went back into the showers. And when he was in the showers, he said, I never felt more empty. And that's when I knew it was over. Yeah. These things that we worship, yeah. whether it's fame, a million, you know, yeah. being a YouTuber, stand-up comedian, mm. eventually when the applause dies down, you're just left with yourself. Yeah, yeah. Didn't realise you felt that way, mate. <laughs> we'll, we'll I'm have, actually quite enjoying it, to be honest. We will have a hug after. <laughs> no, I, I, I hear you 100%, and I've, I've found myself saying to people more and more, if you can't sit in a room on your own, well, you're a billionaire or you're famous or whatever, you're wretched. That's wretched. You can't just sit in peace on your own and just and just think or just read a book. Or, and how many people can now? Mm. Everybody's so agitated and desperate and the locus of control for everything and the locus of self-perception is so externalized. That's what marketing does. That's what propaganda does. That's what ideology does. It takes you away from your authentic self into a false self where you try to live and function as an avatar. And it's, uh, it's, it's, of course, it's misery-inducing. It's, it's anti-life. We're living in, an, I believe, an anti-life ideology at the moment. So what can you do as an individual in that situation? Despair. Really despair. He's been reading a lot of Dostoevsky, <laughs> mate. That Russian literature <laughs> will get Russian to literature. you. <laughs> Too much Russian literature will, will rot your brain. Yeah. It this will is... tell you the very sad truth yeah. about life. <laughs> And Just you will never be happy again. Drink vodka, listen to sad Russian folk music and be done. Um, I, it was it was Kierkegaard uh, with, with despair, which was, and I only learned this recently, it's healthy to despair because we stay stuck in an ideological loop if we refuse to despair. So if you say, no, it's okay, it's okay, we're winning the game. Instagram is cool and, I don't know, TikTok is great. Let's learn a TikTok dance and post and get a million views. You're still stuck in the ideological loop. And Kierkegaard was right, you should despair. If it sucks, you should say it sucks. But that's kind of a social taboo for us. 
Like if something is really awful and you want to say this is really awful, it's a really fast way to become a pariah. It's a really fast way to get even like criticism. You guys lived it. You were like, excuse me, can we just politely say that some of this doesn't make much sense? Mm. Big pushback for that. Mm. Big punishment for that. It's not, certainly in the beginning, it's not a rewarding experience until you find the others and realize the support there. It's a lonely place to be in, but despair is key. If we don't despair, we can't grieve. Despair is essential to having an honest, authentic interaction with reality. Some parts of life suck. We know this. The, v the Vedic scriptures were teaching us this 6,000 years ago. All of life is suffering. The Gnostics, the same thing. This world is not perfect. It's not supposed to be. So the horror I think that we live in now is, uh, Zizek has pointed it out, um, is it's, it's called the fetishist split. So we know that it sucks, and yet we have to pretend that it does not. And we have to stick a smiling face on it. That's torture. You should be able to say, no, this isn't very good. I don't like this. This is not what I signed up for, and I'd like it to stop. But we've sort of been coerced into a position where we feel like we can do everything else, but not that. So despair. I know what you mean about that. Sorry, yeah. just this yeah. quick comment is because I guess it's that thing of like the first step to solving the problem is admitting you have one. And if you admit you have a problem, it's quite right to to be at least dis, dis whatever by that. Yeah, right? discontented. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. No, and I was going to talk to you about not only do we feel despair, not only are we forced to put on this fake smile and project this happy life, but because of social media, Instagram, that's what everybody does. So to use a terminology of the time, we're all being gaslit. Yeah, yeah. Into thinking that everybody's having this great life apart from us. And that, Zizek would say, that is ideology at its purest. So we're, we're feeding, we're being force-fed the ideology and then we force-feed it back to each other. Because we're not just being told what to desire, our ability to desire is being coerced. So it's not just what to desire, it's the way in which you desire it needs to be ideologically pure as well. So yeah, we're all playing the same stupid game for who? And it's, it's this double bind. It's been fed back into itself, so plugged back into itself. We're all doing it for somebody else, but we all know perfectly well it isn't true. Uh, it's nightmarish. And the way out is, yeah, you want to say it's, you got it, somebody's got to go, hang on. <laughs> um, this, this sucks. This is wrong. Let's just, yeah, I need to despair. And really despair. Despair is grief. You go, wow, what have we lost? Fucking hell, we lost God. We lost community. We lost each other. Look at our children. Look at the state the world is in. This is horrifying. Oh, cry, weep, roll on the floor. Piss yourself if you like. I, I won't judge you. Um, but then the morning after, you say, okay, now what? Now, now I've accepted it's wrong. Now what? That's where we need to get to. And so I'm an, I'm an accelerationist in that regard. But we're also incentivized not to do that. We're incentivized to carry on because the more you carry on the more followers you have the more followers you have the more successful you are and the more successful you are in this world the more income you can generate blah 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 and is this not capitalism so there's, <laughs> there's the capitalism of, of of acquiring likes acquire it's more i keep these bananas what what are they they're fucking little digital thumbs but our brains are so easily tricked we think that that's a real thing and so it's the acquisition of more keeps you in the game to actually step out of the game is a huge social taboo and it doesn't even need to be punished or criminalized. Our brains will reject it because you'll be like, well, 
everybody else is doing this. Every other monkey in my troop is doing it. Why am I going to leave the tribe? That's extremely dangerous. Your genet I believe, uh, I, it's not proven. I personally believe your genetics will fight you if you try and leave the tribe because it's death. Evolutionarily, yeah. it's always been death. Yeah, it's difficult. So if you rebel and like you were given your, your story the other day and these emotional highs and lows and you've got to go off in a room and cry, is I think that's your DNA saying, stop. It's safe over there. Don't fucking do this. Um, it's a hell of a fight. It's a hell of a fight. It is, but I also think there's also a heroic thing in human beings. Mm -hmm. uh, and part, it is narcissism. It's narcissistic to think you're the person who's going to go and change the world. But I do think there's a heroic instinct in us as well, which says, I know what's going on here. Yeah. And just because all these other fucking monkeys want to go along with it, yeah. well, I'm not one of you. Yeah. I see what's happening and I'm going to step out and I'm going to say so and I'll take the punishment. Yes. I'll take the punishment yeah. because I know what the truth is here. And the truth yeah. is, this isn't working. Yeah. You can't have people running around, hashtag be kind, while they mob people into suicide. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That doesn't work. Yeah. So I, I think there's also that side of it as well, which is people, it's a small minority of people in society, but they're the ones that have always made history. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. I think the way you worded the question before was like, where have we gone wrong and what we could do about it? And we said... You've got to bring back God or at least some kind of reverence. You have to despair, which means you have to be able to tell the truth about what's going on. And then maybe you could have a third thing there, which is courage. And courage means not the big flex of saying it and, and getting the applause for it, but the willingness to get hurt, the willingness to get fucked up. That's courage. If you know you're not going to get hurt, that's, that's not courage. Mm. If you know you're going to lose your job, if you know you're going to be kicked out of the, the, the comedy community that you're in, I don't know, like for people who've not done this, they don't know how that feels. Maybe they don't know how that feels. It's, a f it's an awful feeling. I have friends of yours, people you've known for years, people you work with, shun you. Because you're telling the truth as you say it, it's, it's, that's, that's despair. So you've already been through that one. <laughs> <laughs> we have. You know, there's a great scene. Have you seen Hunger? It's a film about Bobby Sands. Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember there's this beautiful scene in the middle of the movie where the priest comes into the prison mm -hmm. and they're sitting and he and Bobby Sands tell the story of how when he was a kid they went on this field trip and there was this deer that that fallen in the river and it was drowning and and he went over and he knew what to do, which mm -hmm. is to finish it off as it happened, right? Um and he says, I knew what I had to do and I was willing to take the punishment. Right. And I remember that scene always because when we started trigonometry, I just felt that the the catastrophe of where we're going as a culture mm -hmm. is worth risking the little that we had at the time yeah. to actually stand up against it and say something. And the reassuring thing for me is, you know, the, there's people out there who, who are interested in, in hearing that. There's people out there who want to hear those conversations and do something about it, you know? 100%. That scene that you're talking about, they, isn't that like a one-shot scene that goes on for like 15 minutes? Yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. It's really good. It's yeah. amazing. So you said the catastrophe. Um, I know that you're interviewing me. Can I just ask you guys, though, how bad do you think the catastrophe could be? How do, how bad do you think a, persp a prospective catastrophe could be in the scenario we're in? Well, actually, I've got a book. No, um, I, but I have I'm, I'm, I have written a book which is coming out middle of next year, which is called An Immigrant's Love Letter to the West. Right. And my thesis is that the process we are experiencing is essentially the destruction of Western Enlightenment values. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, the existential stuff that we talked about earlier, that's that's separate and probably even more important. But I just know the way the world actually works, right? And people in the West can have this airy-fairy nonsense about how equality and diversity... That's not how the rest of the world works. The rest of the world works on a very simple basis. If I'm stronger than you, then I'm going to take over you, right? That's how it works. So the moment the West undermines itself, there are plenty of people waiting to fill that void, that power void. And China, maybe Russia, they'll come in. And if you think racism is bad now, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll <laughs> what do you show, think is going to happen? They'll show you what it means. Yeah. <laughs> they'll teach us gonna... what it means. That's my view. <laughs> what about you, Francis? Uh from my background as being a teacher, the thing that I despair about the most is what we're doing to our children, what we're doing to our kids. You see with transgender ideology, the fact that we give puberty blockers to eight-year-olds, six-year-olds, and somehow we think that this is progressive and kind is an abomination. It's child abuse. And, and the, the reason that we're not allowed to have sex with children is because children can't consent. It's that, it's that simple. And they can't consent to take puberty blockers because they have no concept of consequences. That is a psychological fact. The fact that we hand them social media, mm. smartphones from the age of 10 and 11 is abuse as well, because you are just essentially molding their brains in the most unhealthy way possible. You're showing them the most unhealthy images possible. What Instagram does to young girls and to young women, I don't think, I think it's the tip of the iceberg. We're gonna see an absolute slew of girls who have got with a variety of body dysmorphia, anorexia, etc., etc. The fact that Instagram are trying to create an Instagram for kids. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't. No. They're trying to create a specific Instagram for kids. It's just vile, and we're going to reap the rewards. And I find it that I find it sad because it's not their fault, and we're going to have a generation that is stunted as a result. Hundred percent. Yeah. What do you think? Gulags and genocide. We're on the road to it, and I, people laugh. They say, no, I'm not here. I'm like, what do you think? We're special. <laughs> you think historically <laughs> we, we're fucking unique? Um, I know you've had Douglas Murray on a few times, but I remember he always said when people are saying, oh, this is this is a racist country. It's like, well, try going to another one. We can show you. Re- I lived in Malaysia. If you want to, I mean, it's not a terrible place, but if you want to see institutionalized racism, if you're not... A Muslim Malay, you're in a different tax band and there are different universities. You, oh, absolutely. Different universities you go to, different employment laws apply to you and you cannot convert to be... It's called Bumiputra. You can't convert to it. It's ethnic. It's in your blood. It's, and you are in a different tax band. So it doesn't matter how many Chinese and Indians are, are working to help boost their economy, which they are the majority uh, earners there. It doesn't matter. They're in a separate... That's racist. <laughs> like what we're talking about in this country is, uh, I mean, specifically, that's institutional racism. Right. Mm. That is, in, it's enshrined in law. If it's not enshrined in law, we're, it's going to be difficult for us to prove that. So to the Douglas Murray point is like, he always says, compared to where? Or compared to who? How are you grading us? How are you grading our civilization? But I think on the path we're on is gulags and genocide. Why do you say that? People will, look, we didn't laugh because mm. it's not funny anymore. Austria no. segregating vaccinated people from unvaccinated people. Something we would never have believed would have happened two uh, that, years ago. I mean, to be fair, though, those boys do have a history for it. They you know do a I mean? little. Yeah. It's Austria and Bavaria. <laughs> Get in the camp. We don't want your freedom. But it's not funny anymore, really, because this is, this is why the shadow point that you made right at the beginning is so important. 
it's only people who truly understand mm. their own capacity for evil yeah. and their own capacity for social conformity and their own capacity, most importantly, for being in in love with their own virtuousness mm -hmm. because that's what the Nazis thought. Yeah. That's what the communists and the uh -huh. Soviets thought. They thought they were fixing society. Mm -hmm. And of course it's worth putting a few, a few you know, non-believers in a camp. Mm -hmm. Of course it is because we're creating the, the future brilliant society in which man will be perfected. And it's only when you know all this, you know, Jordan Peterson obviously has talked about this a lot. It's only when you know that you are capable of putting people in a camp that you might not. You know, but why do you say that is your fear? Why do you say that's where we're potentially going? Uh, I'm ge geographically and historically literate, and I'm not a moron. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, when I'm looking around and I and I look at like the, I, I know that um, you're, you're moving away from talking about the woke movement a little bit, which which I understand. Um, I was woke. I was a radical leftist when I was a, a student. I had the purple hair and the, the eyebrow piercing and all that. I studied feminism as well as the psychology. And I understand that. I understand where where these people are coming from. But as it goes through its different iterations, it's like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. And I was about, well, let's not bully people. Let's keep people included. Let's be inclusive. So my thing was like, let's be reasonable and not excessively uh, tyrannical. And let's not have a policy of the devil take the hindmost because I've been the hindmost and I didn't like the devil taking me. Let's try and support people. Fine. Then it goes through these different iterations, like a virus that's mutating over time to something that is utterly moronic. I mean, moronic. You would have to be a fucking idiot to believe that this was useful. And we're talking psychological illiteracy, emotional illiteracy, geographical illiteracy and historical literacy. The, the Soviets and the Nazis, that, we're not talking about 400 years ago. There's people still alive. My we, grandma. She lived on, she, half her family were uh, purged in the Soviet thing, and then the other half of family were taken as slaves to Germany during the war. Mm. She's alive. You can go talk to her. Perfectly compassmentous. And you, you've got relatives from Venezuela. Yeah, yeah. You, so we, we can't just go, oh, yeah, 400 years ago, the Spanish Inquisition. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. We're the same people. Mm. We just have smartphones now. We're not yeah. better. And we and you could say, well, we've learned our lessons. No, we have haven't. we? No, no, we fucking haven't. I'd love to see the evidence that we've learned our lessons because we seem to be doing some eerily similar things again. Aren't we going back now to neo segregation? We've we only just gave it up forty years ago, and we're doing it again. Why? Because it worked so well the last fucking few times we yeah. did it. So that that's why I I I just look at, at what I try to see is how does it begin? Obviously, everything escalates. Once you sort of open the uh, the floodgates a little bit, then another one, then another one, then another one. Yeah, gulags and genocide. We are gulagging people. We've digitally gulagged people. How far away is that from actually gulagging them? So now physical gulagging, uh, as you just said, it's going to take place in Austria and the Czech Republic, which I was living in up until uh, six months ago, that's doing it from Monday as well. They're following in Austria's footsteps as they usually really? do. Really? Yes, from Monday. The Sudetenland will be with us. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. Are the Germans doing it as well? Uh, yeah, they're talking about it. Yeah. Are they really? Yeah. Hey, Constantin, do you love trigonometry? Of course. Incredible interviews, hilarious live streams, 
hard-hitting satire, plus my handsome jawline. Whatever takes away from your hairline. But if you do love trigonometry and you want to support us, there's only one place to do that, and that's on Locals. Yes, Locals is a brilliant platform that has been incredibly supportive to our show and other problematic creators. The great thing about Locals is that it's a community for people who love trigonometry. That's right. It's a place for you to hang out with like-minded people, share thoughts, memes, and discuss the show. You can enjoy it for free, but it also gives you the option of supporting us for as little as $7 a month. And if you want to give more, you can. We have incredible rewards for our higher tier supporters as well. We've got everything from mugs, monthly group calls, and one-on-two chats with me and KK. Get in. Join our community by hitting the link in the description and the pinned comment below. See you there, guys. Do you know, I, I took part in, in, um, in a debate, TV debate, and part of it was on vaccine passports. Mm. And I was shocked by the other two people, by two people on the debate who seemed very reasonable, very nice, and the way they talked about unvaccinated people. Just the, the bile, the contempt, just the way they dismissed them. And I, and I was shocked by this. And I went to talk to my girlfriend, who's American, and I went, I was just shocked by it. And she was like, well, why, is, why are you shocked by it? In America, that's how everyone speaks. Yeah. And I was like, really? She went, yeah, that's exactly how everyone speaks. Well, not everyone, but a large portion of the population in America. So there's something here uh, to do with personality disorders and narcissism. If somebody's heavily emotionally dysregulated, especially if they're borderline personality disorder, they lose the ability to assess threat properly. Right. If, if this was smallpox and it had a 30% mortality rate, I would look at unvaccinated people that way. I'd be like, you fucking murderer. You don't care. It isn't smallpox no. or the bubonic plague. Or polio, which is... or Yeah, exactly. So I think when I look at their... I'm unvaccinated. When I look at the attitudes, I'm like, if I believe the threat was as high as they do, then I would understand it. But this is a threat misassessment. Yes. Mm. People with borderline personality disorder who are very emotionally dysregulated, I think it's called the HPA axis, the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis, and it, it helps us to physically look at a threat and assess like a proportionate and appropriate response. This is dysregulated in these people, mm. completely dysregulated. That is an overreaction. Me being unvaccinated and walking around is not causing people to just fall down dead in my wake. Mm. <laughs> That's not how this works. Also, when we use vaccines, we typically go through trial periods, phase three, phase four, to see if they work because we have developed vaccines. We developed one for swine flu back in 2013 and we withdrew it. I'm not a monster for choosing to wait and see mm. whether this will eventually be withdrawn. But you know your point about emotional dysregulation and over threat misassessment, which is absolutely 100% what we're dealing with here, mm. right, is the, I think there was a, a study that came out that people who watch CNN, and I'm not picking on CNN specifically because other media institutions do Please as well, do. <laughs> but people who, who watch CNN, that was the study I saw, I think they they said that if you catch COVID, your chance of going to hospital was like 40%, when it's like 0.1%. That, I, don't quote me in these numbers, but the ratios. Yeah. The ratios are something it, like it that. It wouldn't surprise me because the statistics and the way things are being reported yeah. demonstrates statistical illiteracy, as yeah. we were talking about illiteracy. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, you're right. But I, the thing is that when it's at the individual level, I can understand that it might be illiteracy. Mm. But when it starts to get to that level of media coverage, I'm sorry, it starts to 
feel, mm. and it's just a feeling. I'm not claiming just, any. Just saying it's, it's a feeling. Just, you know, <laughs> and facts don't care about my feelings, but it starts to feel like there's there's more of a, a determined agenda there. Do you know almost what I mean? Like a pro- pro- propaganda? Yeah, yeah, almost like propaganda. <laughs> and maybe, in almost certainly, in my opinion, it's well-intentioned. Right. The idea is, look, we've got a disease. We've got to pe- get people to take yeah. it seriously. Yeah. But the damage they've done in the process, mm. y- you know, it worries me a lot. Mm. It, because, you, you know, people laugh it off and we joke about it and we do the Nazi accent and all of that stuff. But... If you've got countries in in Europe mm-hmm. putting separating people based on whether they've taken a vaccine to protect them from a virus that has a 0.1% mortality rate, mm. that's a problem. To and me. then placing them under house arrest. Perhaps right. when they leave the house, we can recognize them with an armband. Yeah. So we all yeah. know yeah. who yeah. it is. It, it's insane, man. It's absolutely insane. So maybe maybe we should all despair. This is the black pill episode. <laughs> this is the black, this, but if we despair, through this despair, what brave new world we could create. <laughs> <laughs> On that happy note, <laughs> our hour is up. Man, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. We, we're, let's get you back sometime and, and yeah. chat more because it's to. been really great to meet you. Thank you. But we've got one more question for you. Which is always, what's the one thing we're not talking about, but we really should be? Um, we probably should be talking about uh, the rather thorny subject of trauma and the effect that it has on people's perceptions of the world. Uh, it's thorny because nobody wants to talk about the ways in which they were hurt. Um, but a lot of the things that we're seeing, the threat misassessment, the tendency to split reality into good and bad, all of this is trauma-based. And we need to have an open conversation about the way in which our perception of the world and our sorting of the world and the schemas we use to make sense of reality is massively informed by the personal trauma that we all as human beings have experienced. I'm sure we'll talk about that next time. We've got a couple of questions for our local supporters as well, but in the meantime, where can people find you, follow you, etc.? My website is spartanlifecoach.com and if they put my name into YouTube, they'll find my videos. Richard Grandin on YouTube. Uh, Thanks for being with us and thank you for watching and listening at home. We'll see you very soon with another brilliant episode like this one or Raw Show. All of them go out at 7 p.m. UK time. And if you want your trigonometry on the go, it's also available as a podcast. Take care and see you soon, guys. We hope you've enjoyed this incredible interview. Remember to subscribe and hit the bell button so that you never miss another fantastic episode. And if you believe that the work we do here at Trigonometry is important, support us by joining our locals community using the link below.
available as a podcast. Take care and see you soon, guys. So this is from Still One. Uh, Richard, why do people, especially those in power, want to make themselves right and others wrong? Is this something primal? Um, probably a, it's probably guilt and shame based. Uh, if if I'm right and the other person is wrong, then that means the decisions I make and what I do are right. It's a kind of narcissism. I'm right, you're wrong, therefore do as I say. It's also a power grab, a power leverage. Uh, rightness is often more subjective than the people claiming rightness would have you believe. Um, I'm not a moral relativist, but I am. I try to be objective and rational, and somebody's idea of what is correct should and can be challenged. The last time I checked, I believe that's called science. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to check each other out um, and make sure that they're right. So, yeah, it's, it's a kind of solipsistic narcissism that, that was make people act in that way. This is a good question. Uh, Claire uh, says, Richard, is narcissism increasing or are we just more aware of it? No, it's increasing. Um, what makes you say that? We, we well, to, to be fair to Claire's question, yes, we are more aware of it. I mean, you stick on a Netflix show on anything and narcissism will get shoved in there somewhere. But the um, we know that the clinical diagnoses of narcissism are, are increasing. And the evidence is out there that we are living and acting in a far more narcissistic way. Um, these movements, the social activist movements, the social justice warrior movements are made... Whole, whole cloth out of narcissistic ideas, entirely self-referential, solipsistic, no fact-checked um, ideas. And 20 years ago, they existed. All of this in, uh, in the radical left, all of these ideas were there. There were all people who, who had these ideas, but they were ignored. And now these ideas are not ignored. They are embraced. Um, and these ideas are fundamentally narcissistic. So your capacity to be not narcissistic is hypernormalized. We mentioned the selfies. You couldn't do that 20 years ago. Now it's completely normal to take loads of selfies. These are indications that we can say with a degree of certainty that collectively we've become more narcissistic.
Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.